0: I think I'm entitled You want I
1: Want the Truth! You can't handle the truth. Hello again free thinkers and welcome back to another episode of the Free Thought Project Podcast. My name is Jason Bassler and joining me today is the Free Thought Project editor-in-chief Matt Agarist. So our guest this week is Dana Martin and hot damn, this was an extremely powerful conversation. Dana is an advocate, speaker, educator, and author of three books about parenting and homeschooling. She's also been featured on the Dr. Phil Show, CNN, Nightline, Fox News, and 60 Minutes. Now, I have known of Dana's work for a while now, and as most people who follow us know, we're big advocates of peaceful parenting, but I don't think Matt nor myself really knew what we were in for talking to Dana. We've had many powerful guests on our podcast, but Dana's work really strikes the root. And when you listen to the episode, you will know exactly why this conversation really resonated with both Matt and myself as we both experienced turbulent childhoods, I guess you could say. So many of the concepts Dana speaks about, like the authoritarian parenting paradigm compared to the partnership parenting paradigm really made sense it really filled in the gaps and connected the dots from my own personal understanding about just how perverse the parenting style of about 98 percent of america is so i highly encourage anyone who finds value in this podcast to please share it in my opinion dana's work is the foundation and essence of a free society a peaceful society and we need to do everything we can to spread these ideas Hey Dana, thanks so much for joining us and welcome to the Free Thought Project podcast. Yesterday you were excited when I checked in with you, and I, I couldn't agree more. I'm excited about this conversation, been looking forward to it, and this is a subject that I'm I'm very passionate about. I'm a parent myself. I have a three year old and a nearly one year old. Uh, Matt is also a parent, although his kids are a little bit older and. I believe this is probably one of the most important topics that we could really get into raising free children in a free society, raising happy, healthy, trauma-free kids that hopefully will bring the world back into a balance, alignment. I don't know. It, it seems like there's been such an indoctrination of statism and might makes right the normalization of violence in society that hopefully peaceful parenting will be the solution for that. And I know this is something you've been advocating for years, homeschooling, peaceful parenting, unschooling. I know unschooling part is probably a little more controversial concept and a little less known. I'm hoping we could get into both some theory and practical application today. But is there a possibility that you could explain what unschooling is in your own words?
2: Sure, sure. So Most people that homeschool, I'd say probably 90 plus percent of people that homeschool, they buy a curriculum and they do what schools do at home. So, you know, and oftentimes it's still within the paradigm of forced learning and coercion and rewards and punishments and that kind of thing. Unschooling is very different. It's living life as though school doesn't exist. And what I mean by that is my my children have always had the freedom to learn whatever they've been interested in. And we've never broken life down into subjects, like this is math, this is English, this is science. I've facilitated their learning based on their interests and what they're drawn to, based on who they are as individuals as well. So some some of my kids like to learn um, through mentorship, some prefer to learn from books, and so you can really individualize it. But it's more about children's rights and freedom to choose than anything to me. It's one whole philosophy of respecting a child. So It's growing, though. It's growing so quickly. When I first started unschooling, the the percentages were about 1% of homeschoolers unschooled, and now it's up to over 10%. So I believe that more and more people are coming to uh, an awareness about these options, and it's working for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. In fact, in mid-July, the New York City school system actually announced that there was an enrollment loss of uh, nearly 30,000 students this year. I'm pretty sure I've seen other articles uh, that are similar. Uh, I think it's safe to say that COVID sparked a national migration towards the concepts of homeschooling, unschooling, even pod schooling, which I would love to talk about, too. What do you suggest the first step should be for anyone looking to exit the public school system and traditional education process?
2: And find out the roots of, you know, why do you want to leave it. There's a lot of reasons why. (laughs) My kids have never been to school. Um, They are 14, 17, 21, and 23. They've never been to school, but they've always had the choice. So for me, it would have to do with finding out what the child wants also. And I try not to make decisions based in fear, but instead based on educating myself. And sometimes fear prompts me to educate myself about something more so I could feel more comfortable with it. But we need to know that schools are like a caveman way to learn it's the most outdated compared to what's evolving now and so there's a process that i encourage parents to go through called deschooling. and deschooling is really important on this path even when you're traditionally homeschooling and not even unschooling because we need to let go of the brainwashing and the conditioning that we've done to see things in schooly terms schools have conditioned everybody to to value certain things as being important to learn over others so the breaking down into subjects pulling everything you know out of context onto paper I mean it's a very difficult and unnecessary way to learn so realizing that you never need to do that you know we're not breaking life down into subjects right now when we're connecting in the real world you don't need to do that so, But I do understand with some states for regulations and for the hoops you have to jump through, you do need to kind of cover certain subjects. But that's something I help parents do through coaching and other resources.
0: Do you think that there'd be like a tendency for parents who do this unschooling, like not to teach their kids these subjects simply because what five year old is going to take an interest in, you know, in nuclear physics. <laughs> so like, mm-hmm. whoa, uh and, and I'm not I'm not I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Right. I'm a big yeah. fan of unschooling. So like, what would you say to people who ask that question? Like, how would because naturally, I, one would be inclined to believe like my children, my daughter really loves math. And it, I don't know that it, if she would have ever gotten into that had we not gotten her like apps on the iPad to kind of learn mm-hmm. math, you know, and so how do you create a mathematician or a nuclear physicist? How do you, how do the, how does a children find his, or a child find his own way or her own way into these subjects that are, you know, that actually increase the quality of life for billions of people? How does that happen mm-hmm. uh, organically as in, in an unschooling environment?
2: Okay, great question. So reading, writing, and math, they're all tools to help us get more of what we want in life. So what human being wouldn't want to learn them? When they're, when they're encouraged to be used as tools to expand on your knowledge and, and who you are as a person and your purpose, it's really joyful to learn the, about these things when it's not forced. Now, if it's out of context, it's a really difficult thing to apply to your life. And so my kids have learned all of these things as a side effect of the way I would facilitate their learning based on their interests. So um, I, I believe that all kids, if their parents are involved and in bringing resources into their lives, I don't think you, you could stop a child from learning, reading, writing, and math. It's, it's, it's a desired tool. And uh, the only time it becomes difficult is when it's forced and it's taken out of context. So a lot of people, they go through their whole lives, you know, including myself, thinking I was awful at math. I wasn't awful at math. It was, I was awful at not understanding how to apply it to my life and being forced to do it against my will and thinking I was, you know, being graded and measured and thinking I was so bad at it, I never pursued it. So math is is a really interesting creative process. And there's so many different ways to solve math problems that it's really limiting when a child is told this is one way to solve this math problem. My son, Devin, is 23. And when he was younger, he would I was showing him he wanted to know how to multiply or divide or I'm not really I don't remember exactly, but he showed me this whole different way to do it. He said, Mom, I just figured out how to do it much easier. And I'm like, what? How did you do that? And he said, I don't know. I just kept playing with the numbers. And and so that led me to research it. Um, and the other thing that's really important to realize that when your children are internally motivated to do something, they learn these things a lot easier, a lot easier than you would think. My daughter, Ivy, who's 17 now, she wants to be a veterinarian when she gets older. And so She wanted to graduate high school early, so she graduated at age 15, and I provided for her her what she needed to learn to be able to get into college. She learned an entire school's career of math in three and a half weeks.
0: That's amazing. Well,
2: That's not that amazing, though. That's the interesting thing is she's not a genius. This is when a child's brain is ready to learn it all. They've learned it easily. All the years wasted in school with, you know, rote learning, memorization, all these drills and tests it's really not that hard to learn when your child's ready to learn it. So, yeah, I could go on and on about math.
0: I have a, you have like a, a anecdotal story about that as well. And I, I was younger and I was terrible at math as well. You know, and then I went back to uh, postgrad studies at UL and and I took some very difficult maths, all of which made me change out of computer science because they were too hard um, and when I went back, when I was a little bit more mature and older, I was just nailing it like something clicked in my head. And i it wasn't like the teacher was even teaching me anymore. It was just that I i, I was able to grasp it. But that makes perfect sense. If yeah. you just allow the child to, to come at their own pace instead of r- this rigid environment where you got to force memorization and drills, like you just said. It, I mean, it makes so much sense. I, I don't understand why it's not more widely adopted than it is.
2: Well, somebody needs to start it. And I really feel like it's starting. You know, so many people have have spoken out about it. Because in the beginning of learning about something like this, like 20 years ago, when I was first introducing this to people through the media, it was thought of as really crazy. People said my kids weren't going to amount to anything. And it was lazy and permissive. And that they were going to be stupid and never amount, like I said, amount to anything. Well, you know, they're all, three of them are adults now. And they're thriving. And they're happy. And um, I, I didn't know that this could work out as, as well as it had at the time. And so when I was speaking to people, it was kind of more based on the trust in the philosophy, people that had come before me that mentored me. But now there are hundreds of thousands of unschooled adults. This is not a fringe thing anymore. It's becoming more and more accepted the more we show. And when I say results, I mean children or human beings that have been grown and are doing things they love, and really making a difference in this world, and making a living from it.
1: I would be curious to know. Like, I mean, I, I would just assume that your relationship with them is that much better, or that much stronger. Your bond with your kids, too, because you weren't forcing them into these uh, institutions or into these rigid types of uh, learning techniques. And I think that's kind of the problem, at least from my observations. It's just kind of like a, a one-size-fits-all approach to to teaching kids right i think there's that albert einstein quote which is uh everybody is a genius but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree it will live its whole life believing that it's stupid and uh i think that's the problem you know you had mentioned earlier that the schools are outdated well i mean government's outdated you know government's this archaic idea uh that doesn't ever evolve or transform to meet modern times so uh, this makes total sense, you know, and unfortunately, people still believe and there's still highly educated people out there that think that, you know, they still have to send their, their children to schools to universities um, for them to be successful. You said in a Daily Mail article that I read that so much parenting advice out there focuses on punishment, compliance and rules. But I want my children to be free to make their own decisions. And. I agree. Like, I, I talk about this often. It's almost like people have been programmed for just this one parenting style, you know, and uh, the same thing with schooling. I think that could apply as well. And they think to themselves, well, I turned out okay. So maybe, you know, it's fine if I employ these same techniques I was uh, taught as a kid. But oftentimes people have problems with self reflection or an outside view of personality or behavior. So I'm not confident that's like the best barometer to gauge these on. So how do we encourage parents to think outside of this mold of traditional parenting techniques and schooling techniques, I guess, and and teach them that other parenting strategies exist?
2: Well, I think it's important to share with people that most most of us and most people today are parenting from what's called the authoritarian paradigm. And when they understand the difference between the authoritarian paradigm and and a partnership-based one, I think it can really help them get it. And I know very few people who I've explained this to who After hearing it, said, No, 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 that doesn't seem right. In fact, I think most people, when they hear the difference, that something inside of them tells them that, oh, yeah, that's why life felt this way to me because things weren't treated, I wasn't treated as an equal. So, uh, an authoritarian paradigm is what like 99% of people do it's focused on behavior modification above all else and, and obedience and compliance. But In addition to all of that, it's focused on the adult or the parents' needs above the child's needs, the parents' needs for quiet, uninterrupted sleep. I mean, even from the moment you come home with a baby, you're starting to hear about convenience parenting, which is the authoritarian model. So the partnership model is focused on not behavior. It's not focused on behavior modification. Although it's funny in saying that, most people think in their minds when they imagine that you're not controlling behavior that your kids must be crazy and loud and rude and disrespectful and screaming and little brats, you know, whatever people are thinking, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when you're not focused on controlling a child and you focus on the needs under the behavior and help them get what they want in life and care about why they're acting the way they are as much as you care about your needs, a huge, uh, it's a huge different uh, transition that you make as a human being to see that everybody's needs matter equally, not just your need to be obeyed. You know, we hear all these terms like we need to get children to listen and obey and they need to respect adults. You know, respect begets respect. It is not respectful to force another human being to put your need for convenience and obedience over their own need for exploration and growth and learning and doing what they want to do, whether it's looking at an anthill or you know, doing whatever their work is, even though we might not value it because it looks like pointless and it looks like play. That is how human beings learn and their needs to do that matter just as much as yours. So it's for me, it's explaining the children's rights component because it wasn't very long ago that men were told to beat their wives if dinner wasn't on the table on time. It really wasn't very long ago that this was the focus to love, honor and obey your husband. Men were told by their fathers, you know, given the talk before they went down the aisle, you're going to get her to you know, be a good woman and make sure dinner's on the table on time. I mean, look at the TV shows that are in black and white that we can probably still watch that are focused on that. And look at how far we've come. Children's rights are next on the human rights agenda. And when a human being shifts to caring about their child's needs, the behavior changes. That's the miraculous thing. Kids act like kids also. It's important to realize that children are not little mini adults preparing for adulthood their whole formative years. They're living life now. And so it's, it's a, a philosophy of compassion and understanding, knowing that children are doing the best they can with what they know at the time, that hitting and screaming and all of those things for a toddler is a form of communication. And they usually resort to it when they're not being heard you know, in other ways before having to do that. So it's it's so many little bits and pieces that come together. And also, I think that we have a really unrealistic idea of parenting, we expect children to act like little adults. And we can't even control ourselves not to lose it sometimes, as adults, you know, I'm in my 40s. And there's times where I get very impatient in traffic or something. And I'm I'm punishing and expecting a, a three year old to do it 24 seven and get frustrated when they can't. I mean, so There's so much more to it. But when people hear this, there's something inside of themselves, too, that realizes that what was done to them wasn't fair either. It was not fair when you (laughs) weren't treated with the same rights and respect. Yeah. So I could go on and on. But what? No, no. Yeah.
1: This is exactly why you're an expert. And, you know, I got the chills several times while you're saying that stuff, because it's absolutely spot on. I remember feeling as a kid, like parents don't listen. They don't understand me. They don't care about my needs or wants in that moment. I was trying, they were trying to modify my my behavior. So uh, this this really does resonate with me. And um, yeah, the, the terminology as well, I wasn't familiar with this authoritarian approach or the authoritarian uh, concept to, to parenting. Um, so I think there is a night and day difference there. No, of course, the concept of authority is a bit tricky and people like us who are anarchists and voluntarists, we believe authority is Inherently illegitimate, but in a way, we do create our children and we have a responsibility to keep them safe and to teach them the ways of the world, right? Uh, With with that said, like, are there times when parents can legitimately assert authority over their children's lives? And when there's two questions here so, is there a point when we can legitimately assert authority? And also, when do you believe children have that moral agency to make competent decisions for themselves? I know our society arbitrarily applies the age of 18 as a legal adult. But what, in your opinion, is the basis for a more rational assessment of when a child is actually an adult?
2: Um, uh, It depends on the child. You know, the way that it works, I think if people hear about this philosophy, it takes a long time to kind of integrate. Because you might hear that I don't control my children. I've never been punished. Like, what do you even think of as, you know, open-minded free thinkers when you hear that? I'm sure it's probably that, oh, gosh, fear. What are they, are they crazy? They get to do whatever they want. They're throwing knives around. And (laughs) no, my children have never been punished, nor has my husband or my best friend or my mother by me. Now, what I mean by that is it it doesn't mean a hands-off approach. You know, rules and punishments go together, but rules are a replacement for being present with your child. Don't play with matches. If I see you with those, you're punished. You're going to get spanked. You're going to have something taken away. You know, with this philosophy, it's a very hands-on philosophy. It's not for the lazy parent. So if my child wants to explore something, I need to be there. I need to be there by their side to give them information. I'm not an authority, you know, punitively controlling them, but I'm in a leadership role. They, They turn to me for advice. And because I'm not in an authoritarian dynamic where they're afraid of me and hiding things and lying, they believe I have an influence in their lives. And they, they believe me when I share information with them, you know, when they were little, we're going going to go into a library soon, guys. It's really quiet. We have to be quiet in there and respect everybody reading. And if you guys have too much energy and you don't think you could do that, why don't we go to the playground first and run off and then we can go mm-hmm. giving them information. And when you're not doing it meanly, like think about the difference when you tell anybody, if you're loud in there, You're going to get a spanking. You're going to get something taken away. That hurts. Resentment builds. And, of course, children, like, act out when you're mean to them. So just giving information, like, what do you guys think? I need to run in there. Are you feeling okay about going in? Or just telling them I'm going to run in. So it's a lot of discussion. And they, you know, they turn to me for those kind of answers. And I give information and we share about it. And I have uh, an influence in their lives, but they also have an influence in my life. You know, when they share with me, you know, I really want to do this or that, or I really want this new thing. And I'll, and I'll help them get what they want by saying, well, we don't have the money right now, but why don't we have anything you want to sell on Etsy? Let's jump on. What about eBay? You know, I'm not the only one you have to turn to to get money from. There's lots of ways you can be creative in this, and I'm going to help you. So when there's real life limitations, like financial limitations, maybe it's time, I mean... It's not about never saying no, it's about not having arbitrary limits to teach the lesson that there are limits in life. It's about facing limits authentically, like financial ones. saying, I can't afford that this week, honey, but I'm not your only source of getting what you want. Let's let's here's a whole bunch of ways we can go about it. So, um, yeah, so they, they I'm not an authority, but I'm their chosen person to learn from, you know.
0: That makes perfect sense. My son sells things online all the time. And that's how he he earns a lot of money that way and and the lemonade stands and all that, too. You know, they they they've pulled in quite a bit of money doing that. And he gets to he gets to indulge, you know, and go buy his own video games or whatever he wants to do. Um, You said something earlier about, um, you know, how you to like your kid's not throwing around matches or drinking poison or anything like this. And you needed to be there like, but because you're there all the time and you're present. And a lot of us are able to do that. You know, luckily, like I was able to, to be there for my children when they were younger, like 24 hours a day. How does somebody who's not in that financial situation or, or, any kind of situation that allows them to be by their kids all day, they might be struggling and have to go into the factory for 12 hours or whatever. How do they get to like apply the same philosophy, but you know, when they're not present there,
2: that's a good question. And I think a lot of us that are advocates now are helping people with this because more and more people are looking for alternatives. So a lot of friends that I have, um, that had to work turn to like co-ops and get gatherings like getting a group of families together and watching each other's kids facilitating learning and doing fun things at different people's houses if there's two parents as horrible and hard as this might be but working opposite shifts you know, and so you could at least someone's home with a child or educating your parents about it. I think a lot of people have potential child care. But when they hear about this philosophy and they realize that most people are going to be in an authoritarian, you know, dynamic controlling and punishing their kids, they're, they're a little nervous about it. So something I've started to offer is like talking to people as caregivers. You know, nannies have, have like a program to help nannies understand a partnership based paradigm and, and parents and grandparents. So, um I think it's just knowing that it's possible and you might not know how it's going to work out in the future, but when you have your heart set and that focus on that goal, it's amazing how things just end up working. You think of opportunities and ideas that you may have not thought were possible before. So when you have that goal, focusing on and asking people, how did you do it? How did you do it? Bringing child children to work. I mean, sometimes that is an option if the child wants to go, but that's, unfortunate uh, that that's not what i've had to do but i do understand yeah
0: that's there's the co-ops are, are popping up left and right now like you mm-hmm. can see there's a like facebook groups devoted to it you know and, and i like you said i think a lot of them are the authoritarian mindset where they're going to be you know doing like the rigid school environment but on the same token i think they're not and i'm in lafayette louisiana small little town they have um like an unschooling place where you can send your kids to actually I, we went and toured it it was a uh, it was on a farm and it looked kind of, my kids were kind of too young at this time, you know, it looked unsafe just because mm-hmm. there was like a pond there and my kids were like three and newborn at the time. So I wasn't yeah. gonna send them out there yet. But uh, yeah, that definitely helps. Like, so what does it look like and whenever your kids were younger? What's the typical day look like in your household whenever when, when you're doing it? When you're just living and your kids are learning mm-hmm. organically.
2: Yeah, it probably looks like what it does for weekends for you guys or on your days off. It's like that every day.
0: So, were you working at the mm-hmm. same time? Were you bringing in like? Were you like? I mean, don't take offense to that. Were you making an income and and bringing in money, or or um, or um, did, were you lucky enough to not have to do that to be able to? Right.
2: So I wasn't working full time. I had planned on going back to work when I was pregnant for the with my first child. I think so many people are. And then they have this being going, oh, what am I crazy? You know, I, I want to be with them. And mm-hmm. so I studied to be a childbirth teacher and a doula and later a midwife. I think my son, my firstborn was two when I started studying. So I would do birthing classes out of the house. Um, I would sell baby wraps and slings and in books about nursing and I was really into uh, attachment parenting advocacy and and natural birth advocacy, which I am now. So it wasn't making a living per se, but it was nice, you know, a little bit extra that we needed for sure. So. That's that's awesome.
0: It's like, it's just an inspiring (laughs) like way to try to, there's, I'm trying to ask some hard questions because I know that there's people listening that are going to, they're going to be thinking these questions. They're not going to hear the answers to them. That's why I'm, you know, I'm, yeah,
2: well, I think it's, I think they're super important. And the other thing is I had to ask myself, I wanted to be home. It was the goal that I wanted to be home with my children. So I remember learning more about frugality and learning that any money I saved my family was money I'm making for my family. So I got our grocery bill down really, really low. I bought this great book called the Complete Tightwad Gazette. <laughs> you know, I wanted to be home with them. And so we we let go of one one of the cars, you know, we ended up using a lot more wood to heat instead of oil. It's amazing how much we can save money with things that we might be doing for convenience because we're both working. You know, there's so many things you could almost save just as much as you were making if you're willing and, not, and you're not afraid to let go of all these things. You know, we, we got rid of cable. You just make it work when you prioritize it. And then little by little, we started making more because I think most families do when they, they're self-employed. And you can, you know, incorporate all these. I remember the first time we got cable back, the kids were so excited. They barely ever watched it. But it was like one of those family things like, wow, we're making a little more money. Let's do this. And you take day trips. You don't need a lot of money to live this life. There's a lot of free resources. And um, so much of it is just your presence with your kids, and especially when they're little.
1: If there's a will, there's a way, right? Yes, and exactly. um if this is something that's important, then you you'll try to like Dana was doing. You know, you'll you'll make it work. You'll do whatever you can to make it work. And going back to um, you know people who do maybe are stuck in those long hours at their place of employment. You know, even if you're employing this stuff 40% of the time, let's say, I, I think that's still an improvement over uh, mm-hmm. the traditional parenting techniques. And of course, just that. Shift in mindset away from this authoritarian type of mentality of the way we teach our, our kids. And, you know, we, we try to bring them into who they are with authoritarianism. I mean, that's a shift in itself, would be a good thing. So, in that same Daily Mail article that I, I was reading from 2019, they did say, Dana's children have no limits on their technology use and how long they spend on the computer. Uh, which I thought was actually a really interesting approach because there's often tension in our household about how much TV time or iPad time my little three-year-old gets. Is this a strategy that you employed when your kids were older or did you take the same approach when they were younger and toddlers?
2: Yeah, I've had that same approach from the beginning. I mean, none of my kids really used a lot of it. We didn't even have tablets until they were a little bit older, just financially, the place that we were in. But they've always had the freedom to use technology, just like anything else in the house, there was never taboo put on it, but there was always discussion and information. I mean, they weren't going online until they, unless they were with me and they were older. And so, when they're little, they're they they were sitting with me, and we'd be talking about it. You know, my presence was was with them. If they were interested in the show, I would make them food, and we'd sit together and talk about it. And if they were really interested in something, like one particular show, I would. I would try to use that as the nucleus of their learning and bring as many resources into their lives based on that. Like Devin was really into Mr. Rogers, for example. So I ordered some books about him. We watched some, uh, some videos about how we started out. And then we it led to making puppets like they had on the show. Cause he really liked the, the puppets and, and he liked some of the songs. And so I took him to story hour where there was a lot of singing. So you can learn what aspects of something with technology, whether it's a show or a game that your child likes And do your own research and bring a lot of different aspects into their lives to learn and grow from. So, so much spun off of that, um, that one interest that if I forbid it or limited it, I don't think we would have learned all that we learned that branched off of it. So,
1: yeah. That's often how I justify in my mind, at least, like giving him the Mm -hmm. iPad time, you know, is just allowing him to to look at new concepts, see different things that probably he wouldn't see otherwise. And so I I do think there is some learning and growth there, you know, Mm -hmm. I think where we come into problem. The problem is, is like how much time is too much time? And is he able to regulate that himself? But it actually reminds me of uh, an article I think I read a long time ago. So I might not have all the details correctly. But somewhere in Europe, there was like a totally different schooling technique where the kids wouldn't necessarily have bells or strict rigid guidelines as to when they were supposed to be in the classrooms. And actually, what it turned out was the the kids would, yeah, of course, naturally get to the school and they would want to play with their friends. They want to get out all that energy. They want to swing and run around and stuff. But eventually, they kind of got tired of it and they did want to learn. And they would actually come to their teachers and be like, okay, like we're ready now. And so I thought that was always interesting because instead of like saying, okay, well, here's your allotted time to go out and play with your friends and socialize and do all the things you enjoy, you actually kind of reverse that and let them allow them, you know, to to pick and choose what works for them. And nine times out of 10, they weren't abusing it. They weren't out there playing all day and, you know, doing hopscotch and basketball or whatever. It was like, no, we actually are, we've had that time. We've had enough and now we're ready to expand our minds a little bit.
2: Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and I've heard of that too. There's a lot of schools that are in that mindset, Sudbury schools, for example, mm. There's Mm some very schools popping up all over. It's like an unschooling philosophy of respect, but they have resources and that's a great opportunity. It can be very expensive at some of the private schools I realize. So they may not be for everybody, but don't give up. If you see the price on the website, contact them. There's scholarships. Mm -hmm. There's always a way to get what you need and what you want somehow.
0: That was the name of the school that we went to, that we went to when I was little on the farm. Mm
2: -hmm. Nice. Yeah. There's so many alternatives and, I really has to do with people. People think that children hate learning and they're so confused because they, they've they associated learning with forced learning and they're not at all the same thing. And so if they're like, my child hates to learn, no, they hate to be forced to learn something they're not interested in. They, they hate to obey and do what they're told and, and sit and write prose when they want to go run. Yeah. You know, It's really about children do love learning, but they want to just, In the same way any human being wants to when they're feeling that fire and and not when they're forced against their will and yelled at and threatened and when it doesn't interest them. So I think people, you know, society is evolving to see that learning really goes hand in hand with children's rights and letting go of the idea that learning has anything to do with force. It doesn't. That's memorization. That's jumping through hoops. Learning feels good. And it's like breathing. It's what we're supposed to do. And and children, all humans love to learn and to grow and expand. And when we're not in that state of learning and growing, we're in pain. You know, we're in a totally different mindset. And so a lot of de-schooling, as I said before, needs to happen. If if you're pulling your children out of school out of a forced authoritarian dynamic, and you're thinking that they're never going to learn on their own, they need time to decompress and to heal from that experience because forced learning is disrespectful, it's damaging, and it's, it's a total manipulation to call it learning because it's not. So I totally, yeah, I've seen kids do what you're talking about.
0: What, uh, what kind of effects do you think this is having on society? Like not, not what unschooling's having. We, uh, we don't know that largely, right? But there, I recently listened to uh, Dr. Gabor Mate, if I even said that correctly, it's a mm-hmm. Hungarian name. Um, but he talked about how suppressing children emotions like telling kids not to get angry get putting get them in trouble for 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 getting angry and, and ha- teaching them how to suppress all these different natural feelings that are supposed to be reactions to our stimuli in our environment that are instinctual and, and inherent in us but teaching kids to suppress those has led to a whole slew of psychological problems that we're seeing manifest in society today because we've been doing this for like a century right there's we let kids put we put kids in in their rooms and leave them alone until they stop crying, which is horrifying to me. You know that 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 we do that like. And I was not gonna lie, if I would have had my kids five years earlier, I would have probably done that. I would have let them cry it out. You know, that's mm-hmm. what my grandmother told me. My mom like this is what they, this is what so many people teach. But like I think they call it like the the parent starvation method or some shit like that. It's, it's, it's mm. evil to me. And, um, but anyway, so that's what uh, Dr. Mate said was that this is manifesting into all kinds of problems with increased suicides and school shootings. Addiction. Right. Oh. All these different, I mean, he said, obviously that's not the, the number one factor, but how do you see that uh, playing out? Like the, the effects on society, like what, what, what is your opinion on, on how this current paradigm of parenting is affecting society as a whole?
2: Well, I think it was planned that way. And I think it's the root of everything wrong in society today It's huge. You know, parents really don't know what to expect when they're allowing their children to do what they want with their time. And sometimes their children are upset and the parent says, I don't I don't know what to do. They get they seem to be so angry or so upset if this and this and this happens Because we were never allowed to feel anything but contentment or happiness and any other emotion we showed growing up, we were sent away or punished for showing anything else. We've never seen a healthy response to a child's upset. And we and a lot of parents don't know how to react and they think it shouldn't be happening. A lot of people that come to the awareness of a more partnership based paradigm, they want to do something better. They want life to be more peaceful. They don't want yelling and screaming and punishing. and But children have real intense emotions, you know, especially highly sensitive children. And part of freedom to me is allowing them to express the full range of human emotions they were born with and getting comfortable with it while keeping them in a safe place and being present with them and explaining things and not getting freaked out about it because this is who we are. You know, they need to feel all of that. So a lot of healing comes from that place. And what happens in schools, because you're not allowed to even talk and share your views about much anything. If you're angry, you would be kicked out. I mean, majorly punished. We learn to suppress. We can't even work through our own emotions because we were never, ever allowed to feel them or express them. And so Thank what you. happens? We're drugged. If we feel anything negative, people get scared. You know, my, my daughter's boyfriend is a wonderful kid. He's lived with us for about a year. And we we talk about this a lot because sometimes he's nervous about something, and I'm like, it's okay. Humans get nervous. You're supposed to feel this. And he's like, oh my gosh, I just realized, like we're petrified of emotions in our culture. All we do is
0: suppress them. That's what all the society, yeah. all the pharmaceutical industry is built around suppressing emotions. It's terrible.
2: Yeah, you feel angry. You feel upset. You feel this. You feel that. You need a drug, and and it's it's made us feel like we're broken you know, like we're so broken because we're feeling. So um, I really think that holding space for people and their intense emotions is a really good skill to learn. I'm a midwife. So I've really learned how to do that over the years with women in labor. And I use that analogy, working with parents saying, just because your child's upset does not mean you need to be upset. You know, if I was upset and angry with my brother, my dad would get angry, you know, even more angry. And And why? You know, it's it's okay. It's normal for kids to get upset with each other. As long as no one's hurting each other, they can express however they need to. And so teaching parents to not be triggered when their child's anything but happy. Because a lot of parents think their job is to keep their kid happy 24-7. That would be controlling. That's not a lot. I, I do think that kids parented this way are much happier than kids who are controlled. Don't get me wrong, but totally unrealistic to think they're going to be happy and grateful 24-7 because you've given them their birthright which is freedom, <laughs> you know? So, so many layers there.
1: Yeah. So many layers. And that was a great answer. And it really just shows how deep this rabbit hole goes and how much psychological effect it really has on society and what we're living in the current society we're living in.
2: Yeah.
1: And I mean, it feels like it's just a ripple effect. It, it There's literally so many aspects of society that this touches on in our, our, what our formula of years, like the first, what, five or 10 years are so important. And unfortunately, I don't think many people have really gotten that nurture and that parenting and that protection and guardianship uh, from their parents that they really needed. And so there's so many broken people out there. And yeah, we just try to patch them up with pharmaceuticals or whatever, Uh, and a bunch of other things. I mean, look at how many people are are completely depressed and miserable and try to Mm -hmm. fix themselves with other types of things. So um, you did say that uh, controlling them would lead them to developing warped relationships with the things I'm trying to restrict and then it just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that's absolutely accurate it also destroys your relationship with them too uh, especially if there's a lot of the the lack of rationale or explanation just the arbitrary rules of you know because i told you so
0: it's true yeah. and it leads to kids not not being able to understand the like why they felt like they think they did something wrong if you yell at them for that emotion. And the a side effect to this type of parenting, which I found early on, like 10 years ago, was that it also makes you as a parent a better person, not 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 necessarily a better parent, but like because you you try to model this entire philosophy yourself and not try to overreact or try to tell them to suppress their emotions. A side effect of that is that you try to be better all the time, you know, <laughs> instead of getting mad and angry at different things, which we all do, like, you know, like and I get angry at some irrational shit sometimes. But uh and and then then I if I do like blow a fuse, I I explain to my kids, you know, and my wife and everybody like, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. But yeah, but it it it's happened it happens less and less and less as I get older. I lose my, you know, temper less and less because I'm learning how to deal with it. I was broken as a kid, you know. I love my mom i think she did a great job raising me but i think that there's there's there was a letter a bit a a bit of a better way to go about it you know i was taught just like everybody else this rigid paradigm of suppressing emotions and everything else so it's it's i'm still trying to break free from all that and um you know knowing is half the battle (laughs) but uh it but knowing is like the entire battle and it is a battle that you gotta fight every day and try to you know become a better person as you grow and I think that children see that and I certainly see it in my kids, you know, like they they'll lose it and they'll they'll cry. And, inst- and where maybe 10 years ago, I would get upset at them crying, too. And be like, come on, why are you crying now? It's like, why are you crying? Let's talk about this. You know, what's wrong? Let's do this. And it's a uh, patience is certainly a virtue that I didn't have very much of back in the day that it's grown a lot these days. And it's because of all that. And um, I think that's a it's a good selling point to this this type of peaceful parenting and unschooling is that it, it also helps to make you a better person. You know, I have a lot longer to go, but, uh, you know, it's it's definitely helped a big time. Mm,
2: that's so beautiful. It really is. And it also it's so important to remember that our children do learn from modeling and, and how we model the re- How we respond to other people is so important because if we're in an authoritarian dynamic and we're just controlling and punishing and we're putting our needs before anybody else's, your needs for quiet, I don't care why you're crying, go to your room, I'll give you something to cry about. What is that modeling? The authoritarian paradigm, it's modeling control. It's modeling something that we really want to move away from in every way. We want to model that everybody's needs matter equally, not just the person who's louder and bigger and that can hurt people.
0: Okay, no with the paradigm of government and the state exactly. and everything, it just, it like you said earlier, you think this is deliberate. And it, I mean, if you look at it from that perspective, it, it is deliberate, right? I mean, yeah. that's the perfect way to maintain a completely compliant society that listens and obeys to everything that the big authoritarian guy in the room tells them to do.
2: Exactly. Parents are <laughs> trained. Parents are trained to train their kids. Yeah. If we were on a deserted island with our babies and we gave birth and we were out there, we would never parent from an authoritarian dynamic, threatening to hurt them and closing them out when they had big feelings. And we we really need to uncover this intuitive wisdom because when I'm speaking or I'm, I'm coaching somebody, somewhere inside them, they'll say, this feels right. I, I know this to be true somehow. I was so conditioned to believe that you know, that the adult's needs matter more and that I didn't matter. And it's so warping of the human condition. You know, kids Especially go around bullying each other. You know, it's with the root of bullying, too. Kids learn from feeling powerless. And if they're bigger than somebody and they can gain some of their power back after being controlled, you know, it's such a broken system in every way. And I really think that people should just let it go, walk away from it once you're more awake and, and start something new.
0: It's certainly not the system worldwide though, which is a good thing, right? Like yeah. there's there's plenty of cultures left in this in on this planet that actually do practice that. That's what uh Dr. Mott said that they had uh some some societies currently, right now, they have like mm-hmm. a it's a culture, not that the baby never touches the ground for for a year or so, you know, because people pat like they're just teaching that baby that to, to they're 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 wanted and they're you know that they they, that's what you're supposed to do, right? It's a baby. It's completely helpless. You know, you're not supposed yeah. to leave it in the room to make it convenient for you to go put Netflix on, you know? So like, there is, there's still, do you know of any examples of these cultures? Like, are there any thriving bigger cultures? Yeah. Like
2: I mean, I'm not sure how thriving or big they are, but there's, there's tribes still around that practice this. There's a really great book that a lot of people reference and it's called the continuum concept. And it's about this woman who goes in to observe parenting uh, for many, many, many years in different tribes. And it's mind-blowing what you see happens naturally. And it's more along the lines of a more natural, respectful approach, for sure. Um, You know, a good example would be just our culture overall assumes negative intent from each other. The assumption of negative intent from us as kids was really painful. You how many times were you misunderstood, blamed for something you didn't do, and never allowed to give an explanation? That's that's the authoritarian paradigm. That's government. It's exactly what we're telling kids to do. And a good example would be after I gave birth to my son, Orion. I mean, excuse me, my son, Devin, my firstborn. Um, I brought him home from the hospital, and my mother-in-law came down that same day, and she brought me this bassinet thing that was in the family for years and said, I was holding him, and she said, make sure you don't hold him too much. You really? We have to put him down in here like at least once an hour once every two hours so he and i said why you know i had just given birth it was a really <laughs> intense experience i was emotional and i was holding him and he he loved to be on me and she said he'll manipulate you he'll totally manipulate you he'll want you'll expect you to hold him all the time and that'll be the beginning of the end for you and i remember she was there and so she was looking at me so i went and put him down in it and i was thinking to myself you know, we were raised to be people pleasers. I wanted her to love and accept me as a mother because I have been so conditioned on the approval of others in order for me to feel good about myself that in that moment I was just, I remember my instinct told me not to do it, but I wanted her to, to approve of me and I put him down and he started crying. And she's like, wait, wait, nope, take your time. Don't pick him up. And it was, oh, it ripped me apart. It ripped me apart. And she left and I started bawling and I picked him up and I said, I'm so sorry. I will never, ever do this to you again, ever. And I remember sitting with that like awareness that I'm not going to have any family or friends because I'm always going to choose him, always. And it was like that decision where I accepted sometimes we have to make the choice, You know, and I did lose a lot of people in my life, which is crazy just because I parented him in a certain way. And people wanted to control me, to parent him in like an authoritarian, punitive way, because my, what I represented triggered them into feeling guilt for doing it the other way. You know, everybody around me was like, that's wrong. You're going to hurt him. You're going to destroy him. He's going to be a mess because everybody was conditioned to believe that and God, we wanted to believe it. Because what happens if we know that that wasn't true? we were abused for nothing. We were abused for nothing. So it's a really, really heavy emotional burden. And just, I'll never forget that moment and um, sharing with others, how that felt, all these cultural conditions were colliding with me at once. And I'm like, she's going to think I'm a bad mom, but I can't. And how many people do that? And they never make the choice of their child because they're so insecure and so need love from other people. Like it's such a mess. So, so grateful that you guys get it because it's a really, really big deal. All you of this you had mentioned
1: that this is part of the awakening process, but I would argue that some people who are even awake still believe in this authoritarian, even spanking. Even spanking. Yeah. I mean, libertarians, you know, there's a, a huge divide. I remember yeah. the whole Molyneux peaceful parenting divide. You know, Stefan Molyneux is a big advocate for peaceful parenting. And I, I think personally, that was one of the reasons he ended up leaving libertarianism and kind of going more into the MAGA right-wing camp. Not that they're any better, of course, but there was nobody in the libertarian camp that was really backing him. Totally just insane with the belief that spanking is the right way to to teach children. So I think we still have a lot of work to do, even within our own circles of people who claim to be awake, to to really bring about this uh, understanding and awareness about the authoritarian parenting paradigm. I don't want to get too personal, you did talk about a little bit of your own experience with your child and in your family. Are you willing to share, like, what your childhood was like? Did you have peaceful parents, mm-hmm. or the polar opposite, or mm-hmm. like what led you down this path of research and um, <gasps> well, understanding some of these ideas?
2: Um, so glad. I think I had like a typical typical upbringing. My um, I had a stepfather that married my mother when I think I think I was four or five. My biological father was like disconnected with substance abuse issues, but not not majorly. He was a real success. He ran his own businesses. He was making a lot of money, but he was very self-focused. You know, when you're raised by self-focused people, it's easy to become like that. And he left my mother. I met a great stepfather that I had. He was kind of like rough when he would play and when he was upset, it would be something that every one of my friends went through, you know, that smack upside the head or being pinched really hard or getting pulled in your hair underneath here. Like not what a child would even consider probably as being abusive because everyone I knew as parents were like that. I was actually thought I was parented more gently than my friends because they were spanked. Yeah. You know, ours was just more like little pinches like knock it off kind of discipline but we were never grounded. And aside from that, we had a typical life. We enjoyed our time together. I I never had chores. My mother was a homemaker. I would help her if she wanted help. But I think part of me stepping into this place is realizing that my mother never forced chores on me, but I liked my room clean and I liked to clean because she joyfully would clean. She was so grateful for what we had. She was never cleaning and huffing and puffing under her voice. She wasn't like, oh, you guys never pick up anything. She would get so excited when she'd scrub the kitchen floor. She'd be like, Dane, I got a new cleaner. Take your shoes off and feel how clean it is. Like she really enjoyed. And she was an awesome like mother and homemaker. So I had that modeled to me. I loved cleaning. I still do. I'm the same way. And I'm like, this worked for me. I'm going to apply that with my kids. And sure enough, they all love, you know, I've set that tone for them. But um, yeah, it was kind of a, Typical life, but when I was 17, I went to Sweden for almost a year, and I'll tell you, Swedish culture is very similar to this. It was the first time I ever heard parents really talking on the same level with kids as they would adults. Like instead of being like a the kiddie table at events or parties, everybody was together, and there was no like age segregation. Everyone was talked to, and I was being spoken to in a way I hadn't experienced before. I was involved in the adult conversation. Um, They Nobody punished over there. They would have conversations. They would get upset. You know, like I remember <laughs> the way I was preparing food. She had told me how to do it a few times, the, the woman I lived with. And, and she was a little upset. And she's like, I, I really need to listen. I really, because you're wasting this and this and this. And her heart felt not getting angry, you know, but a discussion. Engagement really taught me a lot. So in Sweden and a lot of Scandinavia, they parent this way, much gentler. And then there's cultures that are very punitive. <laughs> and um, I think just being introduced to other cultures was helpful too.
1: Yeah, that, that will certainly help, <laughs> especially yeah. uh, seeing our culture has been, you know, so uh, indoctrinated with the authoritarian parenting paradigm. You had mentioned that your your father was disconnected. That's something I feel like is a huge problem and I speak about it a lot. I often feel like there's a disconnection between parents and their kids I feel like, of course, the masks didn't help. Cell phones are huge contributors to that. I'm sure we're all guilty of that occasionally, of course. And then the endless plethora of entertainment at our fingertips. I'm sure you see this as a huge problem, too. Like, what can we do to address it and shift our focus to reestablish meaningful and authentic connections with our children?
2: We need to get off our phones. We need to start doing things differently. And we need to make things more interesting in our children's lives than, than just phones to fall back on. You know, if my kids haven't done a lot when they were younger, I needed to step up my game and be like, what can I do that's new? They're sick of hiking. We've done that a million times and we've done this a million times. And we need to bring new exciting things into our kids' lives to learn and grow from, new opportunities. I can remember my kids, they love to go for hikes and stuff, but we'd go all the time and they got older and they are like, eh, we don't feel like it. I'm like, what can I do? Like, I need to go with my, so I booked a climbing wall. We went and they did climbing lessons. Like we need to make the world more interesting that we're bringing into our kids' lives than we are, you know? And when it's kind of lazy in a way when kids are in school, because you, you have all this done for you, it's not the ideal way. And there's tons of negative side effects, but parents are never given the responsibility. They're kind of subbing it out. they're subbing out these things. So I think you have to take responsibility for this and not in a fear-based way, but you have to give information. You know, if my my kids have been out a long time, I'll say, guys, how do your legs feel? You know, we need to get up and move around. Why don't we go for a walk together? I don't want to go for a walk, but what would you like to do? Like, we, we probably should move around. So where do you want to go? Oh, I want to go to some yard sales. Okay, let's do it. You know, even if you don't feel like it, even if you'd rather go for a walk, you can't force everyone just to do what you want to do. So it's a matter of like growing in compromise you know I think that I have four kids the amount of compromise and trying to find win-win situations made me extremely creative because there were times maybe I didn't feel like doing something and I needed to think of a way to make it more interesting for myself <laughs> you know so I think being excited about life being passionate about things I want my kids yeah, to know I- that learning doesn't end when they turn 18. So they always see me learning and growing. And so modeling, learning and expansion and growth is so important.
0: I have a quick question about autonomy. Whenever, you know, you said that you kid, your kids can use all the electronic devices and everything they want. Um, how does this type of, I like, I, my kids are pretty autonomous. I can trust my son, who's 13 now, to leave the house. You know, he can get in the golf cart and just drive, like, wherever he wants to go. You know, I, I completely trust him. I know. And but my daughter who just turned 10, I I don't know that I trust that yet because I'm not I'm not saying I don't trust my daughter. I just think that she's not mature enough to make these decisions like where to go, maybe look both ways while she's driving. Uh, You know, so how does the autonomy play into this to this? Because I'm 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 asking for myself, I guess, this is a personal question. Like what, what, what age do you think that or what not age? I guess there's probably a milestone that you could see snap inside them that. To where they you know that they're going to be able to make good decisions especially from peer pressure or uh, or any societal type of pressure or propaganda or anything like that what 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 do you see what milestone do you think that is that allows kids to have this certain level of autonomy
2: Well, it depends on what they, where they're wanting to go. You know, with the golf cart example, if your daughter wants you to go with her. So if you're not in an authoritarian paradigm and your kids don't, you're not hurting them and being mean to them all the time, you know, you can set your own boundaries within yourself and not be mean about it. You know, so this isn't about just like never saying no. It's about authentically communicating how you feel with them. And so when there's no resentment, kids want to be with us. You know, so more than likely, my my kids weren't ready for something, they'd want me to be with them. And I would know they weren't ready. You know, in that connection, you kind of understand those things. So it's partially your instinct, partially communication, and also assuming positive intent from your kids is like a groundbreaking thing in our culture. Knowing your children are doing the best they can with what they know at the time. They're not manipulating you. They're not trying to hurt you. All of those negativities come from control. They're a side effect of control. And when you don't have that, it doesn't happen. So it would be a matter of, um, like, if I was in your shoes, I might say something authentically, like, I'm nervous about you going by yourself, sweetie. Like, I'm really more comfortable. You know, I know I trust you, but there's a lot of crazy people out there, and I want to make sure you get there safe. You know, I've never had my kids protest that those kind of things. They're like, okay, they want, they want to be safe. They trust me, you know? So, but when you're in a controlling dynamic and you're threatening and and they want to do something that they know you're not going to let them do. And that's when they don't want to be with you, you know, because they know you're not going to respect their needs. And so it's communication and listening to that instinct. Like you felt comfortable with your son. You weren't comfortable with your daughter. There's a reason for that. It's not her. It's you knowing you having a broader perspective of the dangers in the world. And talking about those, there's times where I might say, like, it's not that I don't trust you guys. I'm just, it's just my own stuff. (laughs) I'm still healing from a lot of past stuff and I feel more comfortable if I went with you in here, but I trust you. Like I give them that information. I I own it. I'm like, you know what? I am still having issues with this. And I might explain why, because when I was little, this happened or, and they might, you know, reassure me, mom, that's not going to happen here. We don't live there. I'm like, I know, but just humor me. I feel better if I'm going now. Is that okay? You know, (laughs) So being honest with your kids, being vulnerable. Yeah,
0: yeah, we, we, we scare a lot of people with the conversations that we tell them that we have with our kids, you know, like it's, it's completely honest and opened and, and um, uh, yeah, that's certainly important to building that trust and, and leads to that autonomy because you can trust them. And when you don't hide things from your children, you know, it's like, uh, <laughs> it's, we have things like that. We, put higher than so they can't grab you know like some weed brownies or something like that you know but they know that those are adult brownies and you know they're not ready for that yet you know like it's yeah. <laughs> how do, that's another question so how do you how do you handle that how do you handle like um, if you even handle that like i don't know if like there's no drugs or anything that uh, we like to partake in different substances in my house mm-hmm. you know like kratom and some and, and alcohol and uh, definitely you know marijuana so how yeah. does uh how does that how does that roll in there?
2: well it's been you know quite a journey with that with everything like that and so my kids know what Kratom is I bought some from my friend Lewis once and it was quite Lewis, lovely. He's a like, great. Lewis and it's okay <laughs> I was like eh, it's not a you know I don't remember why I got it I think I was dealing with stress when I first moved to Miami or something it was cool he was super wonderful great business. Um, but no, we've always talked about it. My, my friend Devin, my friend, my oldest son Devin, when he went to Peru when he was 14, he went with a group of unschoolers and an unschooling mom lived there with her son. And um, we had always talked openly about it. And he called me on Skype from Peru, like, Mom, I'm so high. I just tried marijuana for the first time. There's all these unschoolers who called all their mothers and fathers and they were laughing and were watching. Of course, I have that feeling like, oh, my baby, like, wow, okay, this is happening. He's like calling me to tell me how do I react. I don't have any reference from my past and how to react supportively. So I'm like, wow, that's, yeah, you know, you're drinking enough water and, you know, telling everybody to watch it out for themselves. And they told us the whole story of getting it. Um, he tried it a few times. Um, you know, always at unschooling conferences and any kind of conference, there's always the teens and older kids that are partying because they're together. So that's been part of, you know, events and stuff, but just conversation, honestly, you know, my, my brother is addicted to pain medicine and he has been for 10 years. So that's always been a very open conversation about him getting divorced, going to see a psychologist and they put him on clonopin and all these other drugs. So I'm, I don't, Sugarcoat things, you know. The drugs prescribed to people are really dangerous, and so talking about that. We've watched documentaries on OxyContin. Oh my gosh, it's such an epidemic. But then being really balanced about these kind of things, also, and but talking about that, not all weeds okay. I mean, the pesticides used. You need to do your research. Alcoholism is, I think, a part of everybody's family and some part of their <laughs> bloodline. So I think everyone's covering those kind of things, but. I love Gabra Matei, who you brought up earlier, because he talks a lot about and it brings a lot of compassion. I said that
0: way wrong. Thanks for correcting. <laughs> well, <laughs> Sorry, I may have
2: said it wrong. I may have said it, but he's. We we almost had him come and speak at Anarcho Poco and I was producing that year, but it never worked out. But he's really, really great for bringing compassion in. You know, so you can be in a partnership based paradigm and open your heart to love when you hear. The way he describes it that everyone that is abusing these things are numbing pain you know so we're talking about the roots of pain and what's the intention of use and i think people that are parenting this way they have a lot of fears about addictions whether it's gaming addiction technology addiction addiction to sugar addictions in general and so he really helped me like filled in the blanks for me to be able to explain to parents better that two things can look the same in two different houses, but the intention of the use of something is really what you need to understand because Mm. is your child gaming to numb pain? Are they eating sugar to numb pain? And a lot of adults do people do, or are they using it as a tool for learning and connection with their friends? Like to have this blanket statement of every child should be limited to do, you know, technology for an hour or two a day. It's not taking any of that into consideration whatsoever. I mean, that's like if you're a wine tasting sewer going to vineyards, and there was an overall law that you could only have one glass a day because alcoholics. We need to limit these alcoholics. You know, it would be very unfair and unjust. And so, this is the complicated, you know, thing to explain to parents with freedom. When you're not numbing pain, and the intention is for something else, where are the limits? There are they necessary? You know, or you know, helping people explore that. So. That
1: was a long That's answer. A
2: great point. Very good point.
1: <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. I feel Thank like <laughs> I feel like the last two questions the Matt has asked it, it can kind of be summed up by just reframing, looking at our roles as being guardians and protectors rather than authoritarian parents. And I think yes. from that from that view, from that lens, we could actually bring a lot more good into our children's lives than traumatizing them and and you know creating broken humans in the process. Um, so we are getting close to the the time that we have to wrap up, unfortunately, because, man, I'm really, really enjoying this conversation. But I did want to just go briefly off topic a little bit. You mentioned Anarchopoco. I know you had a big role in that. I think the first time I ever actually heard about you and your work was in 2016 when I went uh, to the second annual Acapulco, uh, Anarchopoco conference in Acapulco. Um, But I've appreciated your work since then. So, in July of this year, HBO Max released a six-part mini-documentary series about the conference uh, and the people in the anarchist community and Acapulco called The Anarchists. I'm very curious what your take on the series was. What did they get right? What was exaggerated? Did you enjoy it? Did you loathe it?
2: Well, everybody that was in the series, all the main characters I was friends with, you know, at one time or another. Um, And so... Was it accurate? Yes, it was accurate. And it was a crazy couple of years, you know, but it wasn't anything different than you'd find in any other community necessarily. But, so let me explain. <laughs> so the producers were people that I've known for a lot. Of, all of us knew who they were and everything was consensual. We could take part in as much or as little as we wanted depending upon what they were looking for. Um, and I think when you're with a community for six years, who has a lot of healing to do, you know, you get a bunch of anarchists together together, and everybody just wants to have fun and live in freedom and do all the things that we never got to do before. <laughs> you know, Everybody yeah. tends to go a little crazy and it kind of ties into unschooling because if a child was controlled with something their whole life or for many years, then all of a sudden they're told you have freedom with it now. They do nothing but that because they don't know when it's going to be taken away again you know, and it it causes an unnatural relationship with whatever's being controlled. And so parents will see, giving their children freedom after controlling something, and be like, that's all they did. That's all they wanted to do. Well, that's totally normal in a controlling paradigm. They they don't know when you're, if you've lost your mind, and you're going to (laughs) start limiting against they want to do it. So I I kind of think of Anarcho at times, it was sort of like that, you know, we were so happy to be together. And obviously, drugs, alcohol, and, and these kind of things ca- are coming into play. And I think they were the root of anything negative that happened there. And the other thing is, so much was going on for so many of us behind the scenes. I mean, deaths in the family. I was going through a divorce. I mean, like everybody had really big personal issues that we were working through at the same time of planning this whole event. The Anacopoco was a big deal, but it really wasn't the biggest part of any of our lives. It was, it was you know, work, a passion project. Um, so I thought it was really well done. It was sad for me to see, to be honest with you, because, you know, when you're connected with people there, you're only hearing sometimes their perspective. And so you're kind of adopting unknowingly, but because you respect certain people and they're your friends, you're not really necessarily doubting them. You're hearing their perspective on something. And I, I think seeing the show opened all of us up to seeing the perspectives, but with everybody. You know, when Lily and John and all that was happening, where they were like bad mouthing in Acapulco, of course, we're trying to run this event and we're hearing, how could they do that? Why would they do that? That seems so mean. We gave them free tickets. I don't get it. And so you'd feel almost like in a victim role because you're part of an organizer. Like, oh, that's so mean. How could they do that? I had no idea all that they were Lily was going through. Like, I really think the biggest message in all of it for us was that we need to be free thinkers, even amongst free thinkers. You know, it's almost like if there's conspiracy theories that you believe in and you have a really good friend and they put out a conspiracy theory and you automatically believe it because they're your friend and they think you think they're like minded. You know, we never want should be robbed or taken from our own critical thinking skills, even among aware people that we respect. So for me, I learned that from it. You know, I'm really good friends with Lily now. I chat with her. I, I told her the truth. Like, I'm so sorry I wasn't there for you. I had no idea what you were going through, and I think everybody had that. You know, I'm friends with Erica Harris. I'm friends with a lot of people that were part of it. Where we all just said, "Like, wow, we are so sorry, and we will never live life life like this again, and not open our hearts more to one another." So, our own damage from parenting and child, you know, from the way we were parented in our childhood and our conditioned mindsets, we're hobbling through life (laughs) trying to plan this freedom event. And not having been fully healed from the stuff and it was super triggering for many people. You know, what happens if you're if you've been bullied in school and people are talking bad behind your back, and then you're running this event and this person's talking behind your back. If you're not healed from that past stuff, you are triggered in, in reaction. And so yeah, it was hard.
1: Yeah.
2: It was a hard well, experience for you. I'm glad that I'm not in it anymore, but I've met a lot of wonderful people too. You know?
0: Sure. That was a very good answer. <laughs> yeah, great answer. Wow.
2: Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. I loved everybody. You know, I had such love sure. for them all, and I missed them. And I got together with a few people from Anarcho Poco last week. People that lived in Miami. My friend Terry, and you know Terry Brock and Gina and Lynn Albright, Ross Albright's mother. She she and I are very very close. And Terry's like, okay, well, what are we going to do next? You know, Poco, How can we, you know, bring it back and make it wonderful? And like Terry, it just it, everything has a lifetime. It was yeah. awesome. But yeah. we can't try to reincarnate or make something, you know, you have to let things evolve in the direction they're going to go without control. And I said, we can create something new, but we don't need to capture something that we potentially made a mistake with, you know, cause we learned from it. I don't know whether it brought awareness to people about anarchy. Like I still don't really know how I feel about that. I think at the beginning we all thought it was going to like, yeah. But then by the end it's like, man, I don't yeah. think it put a bad taste in people's mouth anything more than they had before. But sure. it did yeah, but it was I, I still can't even believe that the show came out. Like when you've lived it, you're like, really? like, it was so trippy to watch it. Like I was just like I can't believe this was my life. How did this happen? How did it go from us, you know, talking about this event to being on TV and having people watch it? Like life is surreal. I, I don't even it was crazy to I was nervous watching it though. None of us had any idea what they were going to how we were going to be shown. Sure. Can you imagine every episode coming out going, oh God, please, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, the episode yeah. going, all right." <laughs> but, yeah,
1: I, yeah, I think they encapsulated it well. I think some of the people in our circles were a little disappointed that it wasn't focused more on the actual ideology of anarchism, volunteerism, um, rightfully so. I think they spent a little bit of time on it in the beginning, but then it just more shifted towards the characters, their development, their story, Um, and some, to a certain degree, that's what you have to do in Hollywood these days to even get your, you know, series or movie greenlit. So, all right, free thinkers, we are near the end of the podcast. That means we need you to take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe this podcast. We have brilliant and amazing guests who are changing the world every single week. All you have to do is hit that subscribe button. Also take a moment to rate it as well. This gets our podcast into more people's feeds. And hey guys, real quick, as most of you know, we've been targeted by big tech censorship for years now and even lost nearly 6 million fans when Facebook and Twitter took us down. It's getting harder and harder to continue doing this work without your financial support. So if you enjoyed this podcast, if you took any value from it, please consider donating or subscribing to the membership. If you can't subscribe, check out our t-shirts and merch at the Free Thought Project store tab at the top of the site. We can't do it without you. Thank you, Freethinkers. I know you have a website, danamartin.com, and you also have two books, which is Radical Unschooling and Raising Rebels. Uh, is there anything mm-hmm. else you'd like to plug?
2: Um, well, I mean, I'm here for anyone that needs support, whether you want one-on-one coaching, group coaching, or I can send you links to different videos and different you know, free resources. I have a Facebook group called Radical Unschooling with like 35,000 members that I've had since 2011, and that's an awesome resource for people that have questions that are wanting to learn about this life, just to sit back and read. Um, but yeah, just know that you're not alone. That's my main goal is so f- people feel connected with other people doing this so they don't feel like it's, you know, that it's a crazy idea because hundreds of thousands of people worldwide parent this way.
0: I can't believe people would think that's the crazy idea when we've been doing this same thing over and over again and we have people walking into schools and shooting up schools and we got opioid yeah. epidemics where 100,000 people are dying every year and, you know, people are all drugged. That, that's crazy. That's crazy. Being present with your children and making sure that they're taken care of is like the most uncrazy thing you could say. I'm, I'm yeah. pretty sure that you did a very good job over the last hour explaining that, and our listener is going to really love it. Thank you so much, you. Dan, for coming on here.
1: I'm going to have to listen to this several times at least just to kind of extract. I'm
0: going to have it with my wife. We're going to like, we're gonna, this is yeah. going to be a good one. No, I agree.
1: <laughs> but well,
2: um, well, thank you.
1: Now, we often talk with people who are doing big things to change the world, and you're definitely no exception, Dana. The concept of unschooling and peaceful parenting, it's a, it's a move in the right direction. It's exactly what we need. It's a big step which requires patience, fortitude, compassion. But at the end of the day, these are the things that are going to shift our world. So thank you for being a, a leader in this movement and the bravery to take the establishment head on by challenging their broken systems.
2: Thank you so much for having me, guys. It was a great conversation.